to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we talk about kids' movies and take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And today we're talking about uh, Toy Story 2. So, Toy Story 2, very well-known movie, but just to give a little bit of a recap and a refresher to the plot of this movie, lovable cowboy toy Woody is accidentally broken, and while broken, uh, finds himself out accidentally out in a yard sale where he is stolen by the owner of a toy store who wants to sell him as part of a set. Uh, it's revealed that Woody is part of uh, is a collector's item and a part of a, a merchandise from an old TV show starring a puppet version of himself. The other toys, led by Buzz Lightyear, try to rescue Woody, but when they get to him, they find that he doesn't want to go back because he's afraid that his owner, Andy, will grow up and not care about him anymore. And then Woody changes his mind and goes back to Andy's house, bringing with him Jesse the Yodeling Cowgirl and Bullseye, his He's horse. <laughs> uh, that's, well, that's the nutshell plot. Um, so, what do we think of this movie? Did they do a good job? Is this a well-made movie? Absolutely. I mean, it's Pixar, and I, with very few exceptions, Pixar is always excellent. It's always well animated, and I mean, this is early, early days of Pixar. It is. Well animated, well done. I mean, for a sequel, a sequel is tough, and this one almost lives up to the original. And introduces new characters that are good. I think there's things about this movie that are better than Toy Story 1. I agree. In fact, I think there's quite a few things about this movie that are better than Toy Story 1, and I say that without throwing any shade on Toy Story 1 at all. Yeah. I think it's really, really well made, very well put together. The script is very good. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of genuinely funny lines, things that are funny for... We, we, this one we watched with our kids. Yeah. Things that our kids found very funny and yes. things that I found very funny. Still, on like third or fourth <laughs> watch of this, there's still parts I find hilarious. Mm-hmm. Talking about the animation, uh, what are, I have a favorite scene that I want to bring up. Go ahead and talk about because I know which one it is. Okay. So, my favorite scene of this movie is when the, uh, toy cleaner comes in and cleans Woody Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just beautiful it's a beautiful scene of him sitting in the he's on a tiny little chair and the toy cleaner uses the airbrush to fix all the scuffs on him and polishes his shoes and paints his eyes with a q-tip and I don't know why that is so beautiful to watch but it is it is one of the most beautiful little yeah. Uh, segments of an animated movie ever in terms of like satisfying and beautifully animated and compelling these minute deta- details it's the watching someone be really good at something yeah maybe maybe that's it yeah i agree also there's a part of me i love miniature things a lot but it's really is satisfying to me and so when you like sews together Woody in like in this kind of miniature way really is satisfying to me too. I love that scene as well. And the tiny little hat rack that he puts yes! his hat on. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, I, that is one of my favorite scenes. My favorite scene in this movie is the song, and 
I literally, I sob. I sob watching every single time, even hearing this song. This week we were listening to Disney songs and we played this song. You and mean, you mean the one? When somebody loved me. Don't, don't, don't. It's so sad. <laughs> everything was beautiful. See, it's not even, it's, it's the song. When somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. The actual words of the song, but really it's the animation that goes with the song. It's this whole story we see of Jessie's life before where she had this girl who loved her and then who left her. And it gives me feelings about my own kids that are going to grow up and that's sad. And I get feelings about my toys and I have, I still have strong feelings about <laughs> my childhood toys and my adulthood toys and I don't know. My kids have a strong imagination and they get it from me. And I, I, I brought out my childhood toy while we were watching this to give it a hug. Yeah. Just to let it know that I still loved it. <laughs> but I mean, that's the very sentimental, sad part of this movie, but the rest of it has so many funny parts and so many, uh, like, yeah, just almost better than the first movie. You're right. And it, and, when you think about Toy Story as a whole, like looking back on it, you remember Jessie. Yeah. As like, she's a main character, but she's not in the first one at all. No, and even the second one, she isn't there from the beginning. She, she's out there pretty early, but she's a main character yeah. of the second one, but she's not there from the very beginning of the uh, movie, but she certainly is a presence that mm -hmm. is profound, a profound presence in the Toy Story. Yes. Trilogy. Voiced by the wonderful Joan Cusack, and I think she does a good yes. job. Joan Cusack is great, whatever she's in. She does fantastic. All the, all the voice actors in this, I mean, Tim Allen and, and, uh, and, and uh, Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks. do a great job. What Joan Cusack does that Tim Allen certainly doesn't do, and Tom Hanks even only kind of does in this movie, is that Joan Cusack goes from comedy to real pathos. Yes. Like, she really... Gives Jesse a whole lot of emotional depth mm -hmm. that Buzz Lightyear doesn't have. Uh, and Woody has maybe not, maybe this movie actually isn't the most profound emotional depth for Woody. He's more emotional depth than the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in this one, uh, Jesse's the one who really has emotional depth to repeat my phrase again and again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now Kelsey Grammer, he does a good job voicing the prospector. Mm -hmm. What do we think of the prospector, though? I do think that's the weak point of the movie. To be honest, him as a villain, his turn always surprises me. Because it's don't, improperly motivated, or because it's, it's not somewhat properly motivated, but it does feel sudden. Yeah, it doesn't feel as sudden as say Hans and Frozen. <laughs> But it's almost that sudden. Like it almost feels like, oh, oh, okay. He was evil all along, and you never saw any hint. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he did see some hints. Like he's the one who turns on the TV to stop Woody from going, and, and he's if like Jesse's the red herring to him being the bad guy. If you know all along, he's fairly manipulative and it's pretty subtle. Yeah. On the first watch, especially from a kid's perspective. But on the second watch, everything he says to Woody is pretty manipulative. Yeah, that's a good point. 
right from the beginning. Yeah. I've right? just never found I've I've just never found him to be the high point of the No. Yeah. Um I was gonna say a little bit about uh in terms of why I think this is better than Toy Story One, one of the things is coming back to what you were saying about uh, when somebody loved me and why it's such a good song, why it's such a moving song. I think that's connected to why this is a better movie than Toy Story One. And I started the podcast by saying maybe it's better, and now eight minutes in, I'm saying it is better. <laughs> but uh, bear in mind, we just watched it and we haven't rewatched Toy Story One in a while. But when somebody loved me is so moving because it's uh, it's not just about giving up your toys and being sentimentally attached to your toys, right? It's a real uh, representation of how people grow apart. Mm -hmm. It's a real representation of how bittersweet growing up is. And Toy Story trilogy always is about this, but the little montage over the song really is showing how Putting away childhood is giving something up. Yeah. And that's why as parents, you know, you connect with the toy because the toy represents your child's childhood and it represents your own childhood that once you give up, you can never get back. And that uh, there's nothing strange or unusual or wrong about, you know, changing your cowboy toy for you know, jewelry or whatever. Yeah. And giving it, like, she gives it, she gives it to a donation, like Emily the child. Yes. In terms of thinking about her from an, from a, outside the perspective of the toy, you know, she's as, about as virtuous as you could make her. She isn't That's throwing true. it in the garbage. She isn't like melting it or, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. She's, uh, donating it to charity. Yeah. Right. Uh, and obviously her hope was that some other child would get joy out of it, but what it yeah. turned out was this collector found it and put it in a box. Exactly. So yeah. and that's the other thing that I think this movie is really, has some real depth in terms of the ideas it's exploring, because the whole idea of the collector and putting things in the box and that it is villainous to have toys and not play with them. Mm -hmm. But there's a deeper level, especially in terms of the prospector who's in uh mint condition in his box. And the, you know, what the good toys say at the end is he needs to learn the meaning of playtime and go play, go have a kid play with him. And there's a level in that, or there's a dimension of that. That's all about, uh, how you can't hold on to your childhood, how you can't hold on to what uh, you have. It's, you know, my personal uh, shorthand for this idea is uh, MacArthur Park from that uh, song. Oh, yes. MacArthur Park is melting in the dark. Someone left the cake out in the rain. I don't know if I can take it because it looks so long, took so long to make it and I'll never have the recipe again. I heard that, you know, as a 12 year old or something and uh, was explained to me as being about the cake melts in the rain and you'll never get it again. And your childhood passes and you'll never get it again. And the moments you have pass away. And the prospector represents the desire to hold on to them. And the movie is really saying, really thinking about how futile that is, how yeah. tempting and yet futile it is to hold on to 
moments. Mm-hmm. And the right thing to do, according to this movie, is what uh, is what Woody decides to do, which is enjoy the moments as they come mm-hmm. and know that they're going to pass, but enjoy them for now. Yeah, absolutely. We've already moved on to too seriously. We have. <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> um, Did you have anything else on the lighter side to say before we keep going on too seriously? I don't think so. I, do, I think it's absolutely fine what we've done. Um, I was going to mention some of the feminism and mm-hmm. racism and things in this movie to take it way too seriously. Uh, gender roles. Mm-hmm. There is the Barbie dolls, even like our daughter rolled her eyes aggressively <laughs> at the Barbie dolls uh-huh. because they were very uh, pink aisle. The pink aisle. But, and that, uh, Jesse is excited only when he fi- Jesse is fully excited when she finds out that uh Andy has a sister. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So there's a girl to play with her so it's okay. Uh-huh. And the prospector one of the things that he's punished with is he has to learn the meaning of playtime with a girl. With a girl. A girl ends up being his new owner and that that is subtext but it is subtext that to be to have a girl play with him is the ultimate humiliation. Yes, that is true. Yeah. And that she's going to draw on him, which is playing wrong. (laughs) I think the movie is not actually saying that's playing wrong. Though I do, yeah. It isn't quite because uh, I like that the the Barbie is like, she's an artist and the Barbie is super happy that she draws on her, that she plays with her that way. That's kind of neat. Yeah, and the one scene... Where they go, where they, they're driving the car, the Mr. Potato Head and the piggy bank guy, Ham. They're driving down the Barbie aisle and they get to the Barbies and then it's very suddenly like these toys that are not sexual at all are suddenly like, I'm married spud, I'm, you know, they're very like male gaze at these Barbies. And it's, It's inappropriate in a children's movie, mm-hmm. and it's inappropriate because it's very chauvinistic. Mm-hmm. And these toys aren't chauvinistic before this. There's mm-hmm. plenty of like female toys in the toy room. Well, there's some female toys in the toy room. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Potato Head has his Mrs. Potato Head, uh-huh. which in the in the first movie he's just like looking forward to that, looking forward to having a Mrs. Potato Head, to having a partner, and that's really cool. But then when he gets her. She's a shrew. There's a subtext of like, uh, I have the ball and chain at home. I can't enjoy being in a car with tour guide Barbie. Yeah. uh, Because I'm married, spud. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I have to say, um, I feel all those things and I even have more to say than we have so far. But to uh, take just a second to say, I also, despite all of these, I also love tour guide Barbie. Yes, yeah. And I feel like, especially at the very end, when they had that yes. tag scene in the credits, and she's complaining about having to smile too much, and it's like, we're done here. And that is, she, yeah, I feel like her portrayal is not, is not necessarily as sexist as yeah. it could be. They're killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. <sighs> And the, I mean, it's the performance is great, yeah. and the but there are 
definitely troubling things about her, the way that the Barbie has to be sexualized, the way yeah. that Barbie has to be, you know, they're toys, so they're literally objects, but Barbie has to be objectified. <laughs> uh, that Annette, speaking of inappropriate in a kid's movie, in the context of this movie, there's several uh, fairly mild and fairly subtle, but all from the same uh, male gaze objectifying objectifying perspective. There's several little jokes. The one is, I'm a married spud. The other is, just a little earlier than that, when all the Barbies are partying in the house and all the male toys are just staring at them. Mm-hmm. And the other is, another is later when, near the end of the movie, when Jesse does something impressive and uh, Buzz's wings pop out yeah. as, like, an erection metaphor. Yeah. And another is at the end of, in the, you know, the, the tag scenes, the little uh, deleted scenes that Pixar likes to do at the end of their movies. I don't know if they do it so much anymore. They used to. Yeah. Uh, and they do it for this movie. Uh, faux deleted scenes. And they have, there's one where Kelsey Grammer, where the yeah. prospector is in his box and there's two Barbies. And he's like, so you two are identical in every way. Yeah, that was, like, that was really super creepy. Yes. All of those things, uh, they are in a range of creepiness. Mm -hmm. The prospector one is the worst, but even the mildest ones are all like the female characters exist to, uh, are existing to gratify the male, yeah, the pleasure and the gaze of the male characters. And it's absolutely unnecessary and unhelpful and un, inappropriate yes. and the on the flip side the good side of feminism is jesse is never sexualized she and her and Woody, except when uh except that she's very, an very object, for buzz. She's object for buzz however I've, she uh is friends with woody it doesn't seem like she has any attraction to woody no she's friends with woody she like hugs him they, they play together but they're never they're not a couple, even though they clearly match. They're clearly there, like, you know, if this was a lesser movie, they would have them automatically get together because they're wearing matching clothes and are matching people. Mm-hmm. And But instead, they have, like, a brother-sister relationship, a more child, a much more childlike mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah, I don't know if that, to me, gets feminism points, but it does get child-appropriate points. Yeah. Because, like... I don't know that like I feel like she's a strong, independent woman who makes her own choices with her own trying to agency who yeah. wants her own things for her own reasons and that the movie cares about the things she wants for her own sake. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Okay. Agreed with that. Bo Peep, on the other hand has no purpose. And I mean Bo Peep and uh Jesse never talk to each other. This movie does not pass the Peshadel test. Nope, it does not. At all. Uh and it does very much fall into the um, the Smurfette principle that we've mentioned before. Mm, that yes. Jesse's the one girl. The horse is male. Yeah. Everyone is is male except Jesse. Mm-hmm. All the toys are male except the ones that have a specific reason to be female. Like there's no way that mm-hmm. the Slinky Dog could be female. There's no way that uh, the, the dinosaur dinosaur could be female. Every and you know even Andy the kid. Is a boy. Why? Because that's the standard yeah. person. 
Yeah. The standard thing is male unless there's a specific reason why it needs to be female. And maybe Jesse doesn't actually fit that, which is yeah. she's a smurfette principal, but there's no specific reason she needs to be the cowgirl and not the cowboy, unlike Bo Peep, who exists to give uh, Woody a bit of a romantic uh, yeah. interest, a light one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, it is true that they are all boy toys in a boy room, which does happen, mm-hmm. but it's a movie and you can change those things. Yeah. And uh, the way that uh, gender stereotypes work is that they're prescribed. So you yes. can make a movie about how boys play with boy toys in a boy room, and that actually does get reproduced in the real world. Yes. And this movie is perfectly aware that the toys that they show have real-world implications because they even make a joke about it when there's all the yeah. black light years and they say, short-sighted retailers <laughs> in 1995 didn't buy enough toys. <laughs> uh, which, which actually happened. Which actually happened and is a hilarious line. Yeah. There, yeah, and there are a few like good lines for adults in this, including and one that our kids understood this time when I was watching it was <laughs> the Darth Vader reference that Zerg is Buzz Lightyear's enemy and then says that he's his father. Surrender, Buzz Lightyear. I have won. I'll never give in. You killed my father. No, Buzz. I am your father. No! And both of our kids go, oh, like Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. Because they finally seen Star Wars. So our oldest daughter said, seriously? <laughs> she rolled her eyes at that. But of course, that is, intended, that is intended to be an adult joke that yeah. Yeah, some kids would get, but other... I like, I like the Jurassic Park reference. Yes. They're driving along and Rex the dinosaur is chasing them. Yeah, that is a good reference. Um... And definitely what our kids would not get. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of racism is the other one. The toys are all toys, but they are fairly coated white. Yeah. But the most overt thing is the villain talking to the Japanese people. They're only ever over the phone. but And he is the villain being racist, but it's never quite subverted enough for it to be okay. Yeah, and it's not clear, I mean, often in films, the villain has, you You might want to, to forgive a movie for having a villain doing bad things, but not everything he does is villainous, right? Yeah. Like, he, do, he obeys driving laws Sort of, maybe he doesn't. But uh, it's a bad example. It's a bad example. But uh, you know, making commercials for your store, yeah, uh, starring yourself in the commercials for your store is not villainous. Uh, He's only really villainous if you're a toy. Except that he steals the toy. Oh, except that he steals the toy. You're right. You're right. Right. He's greedy, very explicitly greedy, and he steals the toy. And he's rude to people. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's only really... Many of the parts of him are only villainous if you're a toy. Uh, and all of that is to say what you were saying. that So then the racism... is He's rude to all the people he talks to, yeah. maybe. We could say that. Yes. But he specifically is rude to the his Japanese 
clients there he's trying to sell to the to a museum I don't yeah know. his contact his contact him. yeah yeah he uh i'm suddenly distracted by like his history that he's a man who collects all of this woody stuff did mm-hmm. he love it as a child is he trying to recapture his childhood and then He's gone too far and he's become obsessive and then he, but he does want to sell it. So at one point he became collecting it to sell it again. Yeah. But you don't start a collection if you don't love something. No. And I think. And has become jaded that he's never actually found the Woody. I think one of the things that he's a mirror of the prospector, right? That there's all Toy Story movies and frankly, movies in general tend to be critical of collectors yeah. because toys are meant to be played with, not collected. Yeah. And there's a- as, as we sit here three feet away from our little toy collection sitting on our shelf that we tell our kids not to play with. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, that's silly. They're just plastic and you can like them in the way that you want to like them in yeah. real life. Yeah. But the metaphor of a, why a collector is bad is again, that they want to uh, preserve in amber something instead of really experiencing life. Mm, yeah. And that he, you know, and there's an irony that is also grounded in realism to a person who owns a toy store but doesn't like children. Yeah. Uh, a person who owns a toy store but doesn't actually play with the toys. I mean, grown ups don't play with toys, right? So you. They don't? I mean, they don't. I mean. <laughs> I never play with toys by myself. Grown-ups <laughs> usually <laughs> don't play with toys in the same way that children do. Yes. So from a child's <laughs> perspective, every toy store owner is like this guy. Yeah. From a child's perspective, every exactly. toy store owner owns a toy store but doesn't actually care about playing with the toys. Yeah, that is a good point. Right? Yeah. But he's also... Like the prospector, he's about having lost your childhood, having lost your innocence, having lost what is the true value of the things that you have. I still want to make up an imaginary backstory for this guy. But <laughs> like, you know, the prospector was on his shelf and he had got the last prospector mint in the box and saved it. And then he developed the collection from there. Yeah, maybe. 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 And so it is, it is all generally for greed, sort of. Anyway, sort of. but you're totally right. A person doesn't start a collection without loving the thing. Yeah, you just don't. Yeah, and exactly. I know that. I mean, in all kinds of ways, I know that as an academic, people are uh, feel the need to be to have bias to have a critical distance from their subject, but all medievalists read medieval literature because they like it. Yeah. Right? Yep. All collectors of knowledge, of stuff, you do things because you want to, and then because you, you like it, and then you get alienated from that yeah. uh, joy, maybe. Sometimes you collect things because you had one of them, and someone said, you like those things, and they just start giving you more and more. That's true. Like That's that also to happens. you with uh, teacups? No, I teapots. like teacups. You wanted, you thought I collected teapots and told people that I did. That was a bit weird. Yeah. But I don't, I, not, I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of other people that have said that have like, they like, you know, snowman. And then suddenly, oh, you like snowman? Everyone gives you a snowman for Christmas. And you're like, maybe I don't like snowman that much. <laughs> but it's too late because now you have a collection. So now people are going to add to your collection. 
<laughs> digressing massively. Yeah, I, don't I, even I, know. I, yeah. Just, uh, um, I think, uh, yeah, there so, is a bit of a race, oh yeah, race a race. subtext of race that's problematic. But I feel like the biggest, I feel like the thing with the Japanese uh, buyers is very mild, and what's stronger is connected to that is just the erasure, right? That the yeah. Japanese people are other and they exist on the other side. Why are they Japanese? Because it's a long way away, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they never appear, you never hear from them, and that's the closest you get to any kind of diversity in this movie. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they're toys, but they're toys played by white actors and coded white. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And you can tell... I mean, you don't have to resort to stereotypes to be able to recognize uh, racial coding in a non-human object. Yes. Right? Exactly. And it's more, it's, there's any number of things you could do. Mm-hmm. I would rather have them be, I mean, and maybe this is uh, wrong, maybe this is a privileged position because I'm a white guy, but... I feel like it would be, it is better to have them all be coded white than to have them be like, uh, horrible stereotypes. Well, yeah. But maybe there's like, yeah, okay, so no one exists except white people. Yeah. That is also a problem. Is. And it's such a problem, and it's such a thing that we, uh. We don't even know how to solve it. It's so ingrained. That sucks. So ingrained, we don't know how to solve yeah. it, and it's so ingrained, we don't even much like all the toys are default male, all the toys are default white, and we don't even tend to notice. Yep. I mean, as white people, we don't even tend especially, to notice. Yeah, especially as white people. Because, of course, why would the uh, T-Rex be anything except a white man? Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. And, like, not to say... Wallace Shawn, who is the voice of the T-Rex, does a really great job, but I'm sure there are other people who could also have done a yep, good job. Exactly. And, you would, and you deserve a chance. You deserve a chance. Yep. Exactly. Um, I don't know that I have that much more to say yeah. about this movie. Um, we were going to say, uh, Jan has always hated our rating system, um, so <laughs> we're going to throw it out. Good. And instead... Uh, Talk about whether this movie is good and whether it is seriously good. Do you want to explain what those categories mean? Whether it's good means whether it's a good movie to watch and fun and I don't know what. Well made. Well made. By seriously good, we mean is it free of sexism and racism and classism and homophobia and all the things that can exist in a movie that is otherwise really well made, but that poison the quality of the movie. So I'm, I think we'll, you know, say this movie is bad. This movie is medium. This movie is good. This movie is seriously bad. This movie is seriously medium. This movie is seriously good. Yep. Uh, so Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2. Is it good? It is good. It is Good. I would re- I've rewatched this a lot of times, and I would rewatch it again. I mean, tomorrow. No, no surprise if you just heard our podcast. We think this movie is good. Yep. So, is it seriously good? It is seriously medium. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it is it not seriously issues. bad. Yeah, it has some issues, but overall, 
it's not that objectionable. And frankly, in terms of what age could watch it, you could show this movie to a three-year-old. You could show this movie to a 12-year-old. It is a very good family movie. Absolutely. Which Pixar tends to excel at. It does. Except when it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm suddenly thinking all Pixar movies and going, no, some of them are scary. Okay, anyway. Toy Story, though. Toy Story. Good and seriously medium. On the good side of medium, though, I would say. All right, so that wraps it up for We Too Seriously. Hey, if you want to get in touch with us about any of the stuff we talked about today, we're on Twitter at WTScast. You can uh, send us an email, tell us all your thoughts about Toy Story 2 and uh, why you like the other Toy Stories. We only did the one today. You can email us at waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. If you want to support us, give us a like on iTunes or more directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. You can drop us a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. Thanks for listening. Good night. I guess that's the end. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye.